The U.S. de facto embassy's new director paid her first call to, on Taiwan's legislative speaker on Thursday. The two of them held talks that were closed off to media, but the speaker had gone on the record the day before about his perspective on the Taiwan-U.S. relationship. Speaking to Voice of America, he argued that a new one-China policy had already taken shape in Washington, and he said he was optimistic that the U.S. will someday officially recognize Taiwan. AIT Director Sandra Odkirk made her first visit to the Legislative Yuan Thursday. She was welcomed by Legislative Speaker Yoshi Kun, who sported a special mask for the occasion. Most of their meeting wasn't open to the media, but in a radio interview the day before, the Speaker made clear his views on the Taiwan-U.S. relationship. During the interview, Yo said that Taiwan's status has already been determined. He said the U.S.'s two most recent secretaries of state both denied that Taiwan was a part of China. Both have also called Taiwan a country, although Kurt Campbell, the Biden administration's Indo-Pacific coordinator, has said that the U.S. does not support Taiwan independence. He didn't say that the U.S. was opposed. Through actions like landing a military plane in Taipei, the U.S. is already treating Taiwan like a country, Yo said. Yo said that as U.S.-China ties have unraveled, the U.S.'s one-China policy has changed. Whereas it was once the Taiwan Relations Act plus the three joint communiques, it is now the five acts, six assurances and three joint communiques, he said. The five acts are the Taiwan Relations Act, Taiwan Travel Act, Asia Reassurance Initiative Act, Taipei Act and Taiwan Assurance Act. As for the six assurances, they were formally adopted by the U.S. House of Representatives in 2016. Yeo said the growing body of legislation was testament to the U.S. commitment to Taiwan. He said he was optimistic that Taiwan and the U.S. will someday establish formal diplomatic ties. I also suggested that Director Christensen call on Washington to consider establishing diplomatic relations between Taiwan and the U.S. Last year, in an encounter with then-AIT director Brent Christensen, Yeo advocated for formal Taiwan-U.S. relations. Experts say that for Taiwan and the U.S., the legislative branch has a key role to play in advancing the bilateral relationship. Establishing diplomatic relations between Taiwan and the U.S. is a goal for the long term, a wish. Looking at our current situation, we are indeed heading in the direction of formal relations. U.S. diplomacy uses a two-pronged strategy. When the White House finds something too delicate to say, it lets Congress do the talking. Speaker Yeo was speaking about recent trends. The U.S. has produced a string of pro-Taiwan laws. They have several characteristics. One is that they treat Taiwan like it's a country. And with regard to U.S. interaction with Taiwan, they bypass many of the old restrictions. So we really are in uncharted territory. Deploying different branches of government, the U.S. has shown its commitment to Taiwan. Yeo says he's optimistic that the relationship will only continue to grow. The CCC has announced nine COVID infections among people who have uh, been fully vaccinated for at least two weeks. These cases, known as breakthrough infections, occur when immunity diminishes over time or never reaches the level required for protection. Uh, so far, Taiwan's breakthrough infection rate is low at just three out of every 100,000 vaccinated people. But in the U.S., 10 out of 100,000 vaccinated people are contracting the virus, mainly the Delta variant, first identified in India. 
On Wednesday, Washington announced its plans to vaccinate the American population with a third dose to boost immunity. Our medical experts announced a plan for booster shots to every fully vaccinated American, adult American. Ahead of the U.S. FDA's press release, Biden announced that his government would make COVID vaccine booster shots widely available starting September 20th. Third shots will be offered to adults who receive their second dose of Pfizer or Moderna at least eight months prior. The U.S. may also offer additional doses of the single-dose Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Our plan is to protect the American people and to stay ahead of this virus. The Delta variant is becoming a powerful driver of infections among the vaccinated. In a new British study, protection from both AZ and Pfizer significantly weakened against Delta three months after vaccination. In a U.S. study, protection fell by more than 20 percentage points after Delta became dominant in the country. To avert crisis, Washington is rolling out booster shots. We are concerned that this pattern of decline we are seeing will continue in the months ahead, which could lead to reduced protection against severe disease. Rather than waiting until that happens in the future, a month, two, three months from now, we want to do the boosters now. In Taiwan, the CECC reported nine breakthrough infections among people who had received two doses of AstraZeneca. Three of them were infected with the alpha strain first detected in the UK. Five cases could not be sequenced due to a low viral load. Lab results for the last case are pending. It's possible their antibody levels diminished faster. The second possibility is that their antibody levels did not ever reach the level needed to protect the recipient from COVID infection. Given the threat of new variants and the fact that immunity can wane quickly or never reach required levels in immunocompromised people, there is a need for booster shots after a certain interval. When asked if the CECC will offer booster shots, the health chief said the issue would be carefully assessed and that Taiwan may place more vaccine orders in the future. Actually, giving booster shots is now the thing to do in all developed countries that can get their hands on more vaccines. We need to save for a rainy day. If we're able to buy more vaccines or place more orders, we should do it sooner rather than later. We're also hoping that in the future, domestically made COVID vaccines can be among the booster shots offered. According to figures from the CECC, Taiwan's breakthrough infection rate is about 0.003 percent, which is low compared to the 0.01 percent in the U.S. So if you've passed by a restaurant recently, you have uh, noticed people seated apart, divided by plastic partitions. This seating arrangement is required by the CECC to reduce the risk of viral spread. But the CCC said uh, Thursday that it wants to ease the rules for families dining out starting August 24th. We're moving in the direction of lifting restrictions for people in the same household who are dining out. After all, some children, very young children that is, need to be fed. Sometimes there are older adults at the table. Sometimes there are family members. Sometimes there is a domestic helper. People in the same household eat together at home. So we are developing more relaxed guidelines for them. The CECC reported just one local case on Thursday, the lowest since the COVID outbreak in mid-May. This case is a new Taipei man in his 50s. He arrived at a hospital on Wednesday as the caretaker of a sick relative. As standard procedure, he was tested for COVID-19. 
The CCC says uh, that seven of his close contacts have been placed in home isolation. Investigation is ongoing to determine his source of infection. Taiwanese biomedical firm Adimmune is positioning itself to win vaccine-making contracts from U.S. companies. On Thursday, it signed a memorandum of understanding with BD, a global medtech firm headquartered in the U.S. The two sides will collaborate to strengthen each other's capabilities for vaccine contract manufacturing, or OEM. Adimmune plans to take aim at the American OEM market, winning orders uh, from firms like Pfizer and Moderna. Adimmune has signed an MOU to become BD's strategic partner in Asia. The two sides will help each other strengthen their OEM capabilities for vaccines. The goal is to win contracts from the U.S., where the OEM market is worth 12 million U.S. dollars annually. We want to develop capabilities for the vaccine-related industry, the upstream and downstream, the whole thing. We're not limiting it to capabilities for COVID vaccines. Adamine's products and technologies are extremely diverse. COVID-19 vaccines are just one of our long-term projects, not all of them. Adamune said that COVID shots are some of the vaccines the new partnership will target. To prepare for international contracts, it's installed a new production line for pharmaceutical filling. It's preparing to expand soon with additional lines. Adamune will try to secure as many orders as our production lines can handle. Of course, the Moderna vaccine and the Pfizer vaccine are both within that scope. Adamune is currently working on developing its own COVID vaccine, though its progress has been outpaced by Medigen and United Biomedical. The firm hopes its partnership with BD will open up opportunities to make vaccines for international brands. With the epidemic brought under control, there's a rising interest in traveling over Mid-Autumn Festival. Responding to demand, the high-speed rail is adding 179 services between September 17th and the 22nd. During the same period, the Taiwan Railways Administration will run 126 extra services. Tickets go on sale midnight on Friday. In addition, the Transport Ministry wants to ease COVID restrictions on train passengers. It's asking the CDC to allow eating and drinking on TRA's sightseeing trains. It also wants the CDC to lift the capacity restriction for trains, uh, which is currently set at 70%. Taiwan's Electricity Price Review Committee will hold its twice-yearly meeting on Friday. It'll decide on rates that will be maintained for six months, starting October. The price of electricity has stayed at 2.6253 NT dollars per kilowatt hour since September 2018. Experts predict that the committee will continue to freeze rates for most household users, but raise them by about 3% for the manufacturing industry. Cooped up indoors due to COVID, Taiwan households are using more electricity than ever. The Ministry of Economic Affairs will convene its Power Price Committee on Friday to decide on raising rates in October. Sources warn that the manufacturing industry and wealthy households should expect a hike of 3%. Freezing summer power rates for small and medium-sized households has greatly added to Taipei's financial burden. Fuel prices account for 65% of power generation costs. This ratio means that the cost of supplying power has gone up sharply. They can't not raise their prices. The price of coal was as low as 50 US dollars per metric ton in 2020, but has since risen to nearly 120 US dollars. Brent crude was at 42 US dollars a barrel last year, but has averaged at 67 US dollars so far in 2021. That's an increase of nearly 60 percent. 
Even with fuel costs soaring, Thai Power has offered discounts and rebates as pandemic relief. It's absorbed a loss of 7 billion NT paid by its electricity price stabilization fund. Will there be a price adjustment? We have to see what the price review committee decides. For us to guess at whether there will be changes or at which rates will be adjusted, well, it's really too early to say. The officials stayed tight-lipped, but experts think prices will stay the same for customers who use less than 500 kilowatt-hours a month, or about 85% of households. But bigger users that have benefited from the pandemic, such as the manufacturing industry, are likely to face a rate hike. COVID has spelled curtains for many companies worldwide, but some businesses have found ways to adapt and thrive. Let's meet one businessman who's gone from facing bankruptcy to enjoying great success in recent months. Lin Jiachen saw his printing business collapse in the pandemic. After bringing a biotech expert into the company, they switched to the disinfectant market. Wherever you go, a spray of disinfectant is never far away. Disinfectant gateways like this were not Lin's metier before COVID, but now they've saved him from bankruptcy. Lin ran a printing company for 13 years. Before COVID, he was making over 10 million NT dollars a year. But when the pandemic hit in 2020, his income vanished. He was losing at least 1 million NT dollars a month and was about to close the business. Of course, the biggest impact was every day when I came into work, I couldn't do anything with my equipment. There was no need to come to work at all. There were no orders. I can only say it was devastating. We lost so much money. But Lin realized that if the pandemic had destroyed his business, it could renew it as well. He sought out a biotech expert, and together they decided to enter the disinfectant gateway sector. Since their product launched in February, they've sold 100 units and made 3 million NT dollars every month. They say the key to their success lies in the disinfectant itself. What your average disinfectant gate is missing is in the disinfectant liquid. If it is corrosive, the gateway will soon be damaged. The primary antimicrobial agent we use is hypochlorous acid. What's different about us compared to the average on the market is we use food-grade non-iodized salt and extract it from that to achieve a gentle disinfectant. The company's hypochlorous acid has a Grade 1 medical material certificate from the Ministry of Health and Welfare. The gateway claims to be totally harmless to humans and easy to install by linking together a series of tubes on the mainframe. Its shape and size can be adjusted to suit the space, and Lin is even making his own disinfectant. Together with our doctor of biotech, we developed a disinfectant liquid that is more suitable for this post-COVID recovery period. In less than two weeks after I launched it, I had orders for almost 5,000 bottles. Lin's gateways are in use at restaurants, cram schools, banks, and even temples across Taiwan. The pandemic was a tough blow for the company, but with ingenuity and persistence, they've turned the tide around. Well, a couple of very unusual public servant jobs have come on the market in Kaohsiung. Shosan Zhu is looking for two new zookeepers. The institution expects lots of applicants from graduates hoping to start a fulfilling career. But the role is very demanding, with all kinds of tasks, uh, tasks involved, some less glamorous than others. 
We got a sneak peek inside to find out just what it's like backstage at the zoo. A normal day at Shoshan Zoo, the orangutan comes to the door to get lunch when the zookeeper calls. The orangutans get their food passed through the bars. Meanwhile, this sloth is clinging to an air conditioner. Food is on offer, but it's kind of meh. The zookeeper has to be quite encouraging. This is the first time we've got a behind-the-scenes peek at the zookeeper's work here in Shoshan. The zoo is looking for two new conservationists to join the team, but zoo life is very different to caring for a pet. There's lots of work to do. Each elephant eats over 100 kilos of grass and 50 kilos of fruit and veggies a day. That produces dozens of kilos of poop and a big stink. Perhaps one needs to be very sensitive to animals. For example, maybe an animal is in bad spirits today or their appetite is bad. You have to inform the vet immediately and then look at their environment. What we can do basically is to give them a clean environment or a more rich environment with more diverse foods. That's better. It sounds simple, just taking care of animals, feeding them, cleaning up after them, taking care of their basic needs. But in fact, there are many details. So you need to have a loving heart and you have to observe all these details with a very careful eye. Applicants for the job need a degree in a relevant field or relevant experience. They'll be put through a physical test. Men must be able to lift 25 kilos of oats and women 20. You also need to run 20 meters and back in 30 seconds. If you pass that, there's a written test. The role is a public servant post with all the attendant benefits. But if your heart's not in it, this won't be a walk in the park. A new photography exhibition has kicked off at the National Center of Photography and Images. The exhibition titled Emerging Taiwanese Cultural Landscape Exhibitions showcases 350 works by 67 Taiwanese photographers. The photos were taken from the 1930s to 2010, depicting various aspects of Taiwanese culture. The organizers hope the images will allow viewers to reacquaint themselves with Taiwan. A new photography exhibition has launched at the National Center for Photography and Images. Step in and the photo on display is a photograph of a paddy field taken by filmmaker Qi Boling. There's also this photo taken by photographer Liang Zhenjui in 1982 of the Fu Tian coal mine disaster. A photography exhibition centering on the development of contemporary Taiwanese culture has kicked off at Taipei's National Center of Photography and Images. Drawing from the collections of the NCPI and the National Taiwan Museum of Fine Arts, the exhibition showcases 350 photography works by 67 Taiwanese photographers. The photos were shot between 1930 and 2010, depicting various aspects of Taiwanese culture. The curator of the exhibition, Albert Huang, said it took him two years to curate the exhibition. I wanted to talk about Taiwan, but Taiwan is such a huge topic. How could I discuss it? First, I talk about the land, our land, the places that bring us Taiwanese together in our daily lives. Then we have rituals, which act as a kind of timeline. Rituals are events that happen over and over again. Taiwan's development to the present day was not smooth sailing. There were many unpleasant events, such as natural and man-made disasters, as well as history repeating itself. I hope these things will not happen again in the future. The show is split into four themes, the place, the everyday, rituals and events. 
The exhibition offers viewers an opportunity to peek into the daily lives, customs, and religious practices of different eras in Taiwan. Viewers of all ages living in Taiwan are bound to find pieces that resonate with them. The photos taken in this exhibition spans from 1930 to 2010. Therefore, many people who look at these photos will feel connection with them. People living in the land of Taiwan, whether old or young, as long as you come, you will be able to feel an emotional connection to Taiwan. When you look at the works, there will be a lot of emotional interactions, and you will be able to better understand how Taiwan overcame difficulties. The exhibition will last from July 29th through December 5th. To make a reservation, visitors can visit the venue's website. For Mosa News, Stephanie Yang, Tencent Han in Taipei.